0: We had bear feeding shows that the Park Service sponsored and promoted and they'd bring garbage out onto a concrete apron and dump the garbage and then wait for the bears to emerge from the woods and come and feed.
1: This is Lee Whittlesey. He's a retired Yellowstone National Park Service historian.
0: And the people were in a fenced in area, not well fenced in my opinion, but fenced, and there was a ranger on horseback with a gun. What the people didn't know was that the gun didn't have any bullets in it. Probably not our finest hour there, but in defense of the early Park Service, they had a lot going on to learn about how to manage these parks that they were suddenly given.
1: So this is what today's episode is all about. Grizzly bear management in Yellowstone National Park and how it's evolved over time. These management issues have contributed directly to the grizzly bear being placed on the endangered species
2: list. Also, just to clear a little something up, at the end of episode one, we said that we were going to talk about the ESA in great detail in today's episode. In fact, we're gonna push that off until episode three, because we want you to hear more from Lee.
1: Charlie, would you consider Lee Whittlesey to be a human Wayback Machine?
2: Yes. And it's terribly convenient because we happen to be having engine problems with our own Wayback Machine. Oh boy. Uh, Let's back up to where we left off in episode one. A conservation movement of sorts was being born in the U.S. Uh, This was led by sport hunters in reaction to market hunters. But this idea of wildlife conservation and game management was still new and still fraught with management problems. One big problem was feeding bears in Yellowstone National Park.
0: Definitely by the 90s. That's the 1890s. There was formal feeding going on. Everybody at the at the Hotel Garbage Dumps was just carelessly entertaining each other with, you know, hey, let's just pitch food to the bears.
2: From there, it's not much of a leap to full-blown feeding stands with virtually unarmed rangers.
0: And by the time the park motorized in 1917, there were bears along some of the roadsides and it really got heavy in the 1950s, really following World War II.
2: This conjures up internet images of bears lined up beside a vintage station wagon, begging for a food handout.
0: Very entertaining, bears all along the roadsides. Most of them, you know, eating out of tourists' hands. People just, they just couldn't get the message that it was unnatural, illegal, dangerous to do the one thing they most wanted to do, which was feed the bears.
1: We really didn't seem to have any idea how to manage large predators. In the case of the grizzlies in Yellowstone National Park, we treated them kind of like circus animals.
0: I remember an old cartoon that shows a bear on a bicycle with a clown hat on and his face is made up like a clown and two guys standing off to the side and one of them saying it's just not the yellowstone i knew as a child in fact it was the same as what he knew as a child it was a clown show
1: but they quickly learned that it wasn't a clown show and that bears aren't a circus act Interacting with wildlife in Yellowstone National Park can be dangerous, and in some cases, fatal. As bears are habituated to human sources of food, this only increases the probability of conflicts.
2: When bears associate humans with food, they come looking for our steaks, our cookies, even our toothpaste. And a lot of times, when they come looking for those things, we are there too, whether we're hiking down the trail, sleeping in our tent, or driving by in our car.
1: Alright, so now we've got two examples of influential cases when human-bear interaction went tragically wrong. These cases significantly influenced bear management in Montana National Parks.
2: Christy, we've both watched Night of the Grizzlies.
1: It's a documentary you can look up on the web, or you can read the book written by Jack Olson.
2: On a single night in 1967, two campers were killed in Glacier National Park, each in separate locations and by different bears.
1: The second important case is that of Harry Walker. The Harry
2: Walker case.
1: I first learned about his story in Lee's book, Death in Yellowstone.
0: It was a... An important
1: moment. In 1972, Harry set up an illegal and dirty camp near Old Faithful and was killed and partially eaten by a grizzly in the middle of the night. It changed the Park Service's
0: way of looking
1: at bears entering
2: settled areas, campgrounds, and so forth. The Walker case and Night of the Grizzlies served as a straw that broke the camel's back and brought about a change in bear management.
1: The National Park Service needed a strategy to rewild the bears and break the dependency. Simply put, we needed to stop feeding the bears. No more open dumps, no roadside snacks, and definitely get some bear-proof trash cans. And if you wanted to get fancy, you can call this the three-pronged approach.
2: One of the three prongs was the open pit dumps, and there was a debate about to handle the dumps. Frank and John Craighead were notable wildlife biologists that maintained one school of thought, slowly phased the dumps out. This would give the bears the opportunity to replace the smorgasbord of trash with something more natural.
1: But the Park Service disagreed.
2: Went cold turkey. The dumps were closed, not gradually phased
0: out. You're you're into a difficult area when you try to have a gradual phase out of a, of human feeding when you know darn well it's a problem. In hindsight, I got to tell you, I think the Park Service was right, but in the short term, it did cause it did cause some some immediate human bear conflicts i still think it was the right decision all in all
2: in the late 1960s the park began its tough love approach to rewilding the bears and as a result the immediate human bear conflicts that lee mentioned did increase as a result grizzly bear populations started to decline In 1970, 57 grizzlies died on natural deaths in the park. And by 1975, there were only about 130 left.
1: 1975 is also the year where the grizzly was put on the endangered species list. I am a poor wayfaring
0: stranger Traveling through
2: this world below
1: Charlie, I want to end this episode with one of the most impactful things that Lee said during our interview.
0: Part of the reason Yellowstone is so magical and wonderful is it's not like everywhere else. You get people that come to it and they're blown away. Precisely because of that. It does not look like everywhere else. It is not a sanitized, manicured city park where they pick up fallen tree branches. This is a wild place. You can get killed, injured, and in my opinion, if you don't have a place where you can get killed or injured by a wild animal, you do not have a natural place.
1: Coming up in episode three, Charlie spends a day at the federal courthouse in Missoula.
2: Here's one of the many voices I heard from that day. I'm
1: here because um, I'm interested to see If Judge Christensen is going to uphold the law and find that the grizzlies deserve to be put back on the endangered species
2: list. Special thanks to Lee Whittlesey. Today's episode would have been impossible without him. Music today was provided by Semaphore, Kevin McLeod, and Roger Burmeister. As always, thanks to freemusicarchive.org and freesfx.co.uk. Stay tuned for episode three, and visit us at impactpodcast.org.